Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Father Nathan with Father Michael Flolo, fresh from his trip back to Denver from San Diego through Albuquerque and uh, and back again. So, welcome yeah. back. Thank you. Good to be back. You want to tell sick. us? You want to tell us any any uh, any stories from your yeah. time in San Diego? Were you out there for a Chargers conference or something? Yeah, I was uh, out being a, a problem, a thorn of the Chargers side. Go Broncos! <sighs> no, we had a a boys camp, ascetical boot camp for boys seven to seventeen, and their fathers. Ascetical boot camp. Ascetical boot camp. Uh, what is out. it called? Alive in Christ ascetical boot camp. Oh, it is called that. It is. Yeah, that's that's the uh, full title. We like extending things like Holy Protection of the Mother of God, Byzantine Catholic Church. Uh-huh. Holy Protection of Mary, Byzantine Catholic Eparchy of Phoenix. So these mm-hmm. titles are long and drawn out, but we love it. So we did that. It was awesome. The boys love it. We They pray like three hours a day. They play games for three hours a day. They do intellectual kind of contests for about three hours a day. They only get about six hours of sleep. So do we, the leaders. And uh, But it is awesome. The kids love it. I love it. I hate planning for it. I got horribly ill on the drive back because I just exhausted myself before that. But uh, but overall, it was very good. Good feedback. We'll do it again next year up near Seattle. You drove all the way from Denver to San Diego. Yeah, on no sleep. How far is that? That was supposed to be 15 hours. Oh, total? Yeah. Still. It's not that bad. I mean, when I looked at it first, I thought, well, this is drivable because I initially wasn't going to drive, as you know. But, right. But yeah, so I decided to drive it, drove it, and then uh, the I-15 between Vegas and Los Angeles was flooded. And so we spent four hours, thank God, in the middle of the night, uh, just stopped, dead stop on I-15. Families were getting out of their cars. They were having picnic lunches in the median. They were, uh, you know, no one was whining or complaining that I heard. It was nice and cool because it was the middle of the night. Yeah. And I was just wanting sleep. So I was kind of pissed off but other than that i was it was great yeah came back funny story coming back driving through albuquerque my hometown and uh i came back from israel about five years ago from a trip and got a fever and for some reason my bodily composition was changed in israel so when i got the fever whenever i get a fever i get the the shakes really bad i just i'm, I'm freezing cold and I'm, I'm just shaking and uh so I, I, I've known now it's about five or six times since I was in Israel that I have about a two-minute warning before these shakes start, and they're absolutely debilitating. It's just like I'm shivering, like I'm freezing cold, can't drive, really can't do much when it's happening. And it before I knew what it was, it would take about maybe an hour to stop, or I'd just fall asleep and not know when it stopped. But um, now I know it just goes, and I need to take four Tylenol, my doctor said, take the Tylenol, and you'll, the shivers will stop. So... I get about a two-minute warning when I feel these things coming on. So I'm driving through Albuquerque, and I stop off at a Walgreens to go buy some Tylenol, run in there. The line is so long that the shivers start before I get to the counter. Why didn't you just take the Tylenol and then pay for it? I know. I probably should have. I just didn't want to cause even more of a scene than I Did your mom ever do to. that where like she would like buy you a... We do have animal crackers. Yeah, and you just eat you them in the store. the entire thing before you had to, yeah, my mom would just yeah. give them a, the, the empty box of animal crackers. I probably should have. I didn't think. I just didn't want to cause a scene. But anyway, I ended up causing a scene, of course, because before I get to the front, I'm, I'm shivering and shaking, and the girl behind the counter totally thought I was on drugs and just said she wanted my keys, said, you know, what the heck are you doing, threatened to call the police, and I'm just 
trying not to laugh and trying to be like, um, no, I promise you, I just have a fever. I just need to take four Tylenol in 15 minutes. I'll be fine. So she literally sat me down, took my keys, watched me for 15 minutes until the shivers just stopped. And then she became totally like a mom. Like, I am so sorry. Aww. Here's my phone number. If you need me to drive you anywhere or do anything, I will absolutely help you out. So it was really beautiful in the end. I was like, why, Lord? Like, just give me an extra two minutes. I could have been in my car to do this. But maybe there was uh, an alternate plan our Lord had to to yeah. allow her to love in a way that she maybe didn't before. So, and But I asked him, I asked him before when he was telling me the story if he said he was a priest. But yeah. he, he he kept his identity. I did. I didn't want to be more scandalous. You know. You know. The, you know. The, Priest on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the bishop of Las Vegas doesn't let his clergy wear clerics in the casinos. Oh, I think it's for the same reasons. You know. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think a lot of good ministry can be done in the casinos. But I'm going to trust him, obviously, and he does it because he doesn't want to be scandalous. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's kind of the same thing here. I didn't want to look like I was a priest on drugs. I tried to look like some thirty-seven year old punk kid on drugs yeah punk adult on drugs right all right all right what are we Uh, doing today i he's got the reins on this one yeah yeah he's feeling pretty confident behind the stick shift of the podcast (laughs) equipment so i'll just run with it um i want to talk about something that i I see a lot now i read some articles on this and and so i don't want to get into the details but but misplaced compassion um i like seeing in the news today there's this there's a tendency for people to get very radical. You know, we, we want to change the world and, and people are empowered. There's all these movements going on, everybody being radical. And they all claim that they're acting out of compassion. Um, of course, we have a thing called misplaced compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, Aquila just wrote something about this um, a few months ago. Misplaced compassion. So there, there's this idea that, that we can be compassionate and we all want to be compassionate, but we don't know what to be compassionate about. There's It's so human because we want to help and we want to change the world. It's so human for someone to come up to us that's in need. And all of a sudden their need is the only need. You know, I, I say what you're dealing with right now. I want to solve you're, you're hurting. I want to make you feel better. You're not peaceful. I want you to feel peaceful, all these things. And, and so I can kind of set aside all the other consequences of the compassion for them even if it's going to hurt somebody else in that moment, I don't consider that as much because this person is right in front of me. They're the one I want to help. I want to have compassion on them. So I was trying to think of why so many times in the world today people have compassion on on one of the people or one of the situations, part of the situation involved in whatever they're presented with, but not the other. And that you almost have to exclude the other when you're having compassion on the one. There seems to be very few examples in our social media society where everything's in your face and so quick and, and so individualistic. So many, so few examples of people saying, well, the compassion I'm going to have on you is what we might call tough love. Or in other words, the compassion I'm going to have you, I'm going to walk with you. Pope Francis loves using that term, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you. So the, these compassion has to have immediate results. And what we tend to do is we tend to, if we're going to have compassion on something and it's, it's a kind of a, a mixed situation, it's not that clear. Take, for instance, a 14-year-old girl comes up, she was raped, she has a baby, and she wants to have an abortion, right? Where's the compassion? That's one of those examples of, you know, there's obviously multiple individuals here. You know, there, there's there's the girl, there's the baby. You know, what is true compassion? You know, I think the human thing is to say, 
it is the girl is in such obvious need, right? The the need of the baby isn't so obvious to us because we don't see it. So misplaced compassion would be say, I'm only going to consider the needs of the girl. Mm-hmm. You know, where true compassion, of course, would come from true wisdom. And that would mean I'm going to consider the needs of everybody here. And I'm going to work for the common good rather than the individual good. I understand completely when people just err on the side of the one, the more obvious need, the one that was presented to me. So... In considering this, I was reading this this book by uh, Ross Douthat called uh, Bad Religion. He wrote it probably five, six years ago. Anyway, great book, and he's talking about Christianity in the U.S., and he goes, the first part of the book is kind of the historical Christianity and how we went from kind of the crazy times of the 20s and 30s to all of a sudden Christianity finding this high point in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s, and then kind of all of that fell apart. What he talks about, one of the reasons why Christianity fell apart, what we can do to bring it back as is, is kind of a cultural reality in the United States, is that he talks about heresy. Heresy, as he defines it, we'll read it real quick. He says, many of the overlapping crises in American life, from our foreign policy disasters to the housing bubble, to the rate of out-of-wedlock births, can be traced to the impulse to emphasize one particular element of traditional Christianity— one insight, one doctrine, one teaching, one tradition at the expense of all the others. And that's the key, at the expense of all the others. The goal is always progress, a belief system that is simpler or more reasonable, more authentic or more up to date, yet the results often vindicate the older Christian synthesis. Heresy comes out to be simpler. Your desire for wife, I just covered up my, my words here. Heresy sets out to be simpler and more appealing and more rational, but it often ends up being more extreme. So I think compassion then we can almost consider as a heresy. If, if we need, if the compassion is complicated, if it's kind of gray and dirty and it's not obvious what to do, we're going to want to make it obvious by kind of making one side the absolute victim and making the other side absolutely demonizing it. And it just becomes simpler that way. So if you look at the heresies in the early church, you have Alexandria, which almost always emphasized the divinity of Christ over the humanity of Christ. You have Antioch, emphasized the humanity of Christ over the divinity of Christ. All the heresies that came out of those cities, it was, it was very predictable. You know, if, if, if the theologians from Alexandria, he's going to say, well, you know, going to err on the side of saying, well, Jesus, this man Jesus was God, but he just looked like a man. Mm-hmm. And then you have Antioch, well, he was a man. We saw he was a man, but he did God-like things, where, of course, orthodoxy says that no he was true god and true man but we can't wrap our minds around that that that's hard that's complicated that's great that's confusing and so orthodoxy is something that is is hard orthodoxy is we have to sit in it for a while we have to dedicate time and be patient with it whereas heresy is much easier i take one side of it i emphasize that and i demonize all the other parts of it so When it comes to compassion, I think we need to slow down. I like seeing all the movements. I like seeing all the radical radicalness going on in the world where people, you know, they they want to change the world and it's in the news and it's on the the, the top Twitter feed every single night. You know, these things people want to do. But rarely do we stop and say the orthodox solution is probably somewhere in the middle. And we want to have compassion. Compassion is ideally a good thing i want to be able to have empathy and compassion by the way i looked up compassion of course the the root of it it means it means with uh you know come for with and then pati is 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 actually like being a victim mm-hmm. so like when, when you have a a, a sin of passion or, or a crime of passion it means that you weren't in your full senses so this is this is in a sense what compassion is we 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 are a victim with somebody else 
In other words, we're not fully in control with somebody else. And I think that's something that's not the ideal compassion. Compassion, ideal compassion is more like empathy, where I, I, I see your suffering, I see what you need, and I'm gonna actually live in that need with you. I'm gonna be a victim with you so much so that, that, that I can help you out of it through my presence. I'm not gonna be a complete victim, but I'm gonna be a victim enough with you to help you out as much as I can. So when we have compassion, I think that's one of the negative sides of compassion is, is that we're, we're all being victims together and, and it's, it's victims of just extreme emotion. There's not a lot of thought going into it. And we need, if we're gonna have compassion like we should, even in a radical way, to stop and to say, what are all the different victims here? What are all the different situations that need love, need hope, need faith, etc., and make sure we address all of those. And it's not going to be black and white. It's not going to be a meme. It's not going to be a hashtag. It's, it's going to be complicated. And we Christians, because we believe that Jesus is God and man, because we believe that death brought life, because we believe that Mary is virgin and mother, mm. we like these paradoxes. We, we've sat with them forever. We don't understand them completely, but we walk with them and we, we take time with them. And we can take those same kind of deeper theological realities that we Christians are so good at. And we can say, when it comes to seeing a need in the world, we need to slow down a bit and to say, let me consider all the different victims in here and have compassion on all of them without taking one as kind of the the pinnacle of the need for compassion and then demonizing the other ones. I don't even need to think about it. So where is that going on in the church today that you see where there's kind of misplaced compassion or kind of a demonization of one side over another. Yeah. Uh, this obviously really came about in the pedophilia scandal in 2002. Uh. You know, I mean, there was, and we, of course, as, as I was a seminarian at the time, we, we felt that so readily. And we, yet we needed, we needed to kind of slow down and say it's so easy for society to demonize the entire church, to demonize all priests. I see this now, you know, with cops. My brother's a cop. And so yeah. I, when, when I see all the, 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 the negativity against cops, it's like, you know, we've decided to see evils being done. Some cops are doing horribly bad things, right? So, so we see that and it's then so easy according to our human nature, to then just demonize all cops, demonize all authority, you know? And we need to stop, we need to say, how do I have compassion on the victims of injustice? You know, that's usually where we start, you know, the the preferential option for the poor, the preferential option for the victims. We start with them, but we say, I am going horribly wrong here if, if by if by caring for and having compassion and empathy on the victims of bad cops, if if I... If I demonize all cops, then I'm shooting myself in the foot and I'm shooting our society in the foot. It's just, it's much grayer than that. And in our modern society, we need everything to be a meme and a hashtag. And it's just, we need, we Christians need to resist that. Absolutely. I mean, the, even Twitter, you know, 140, whatever it is, characters, you know, it, it, that, that, that's not authentic. You know, we can say God is love. You know, we can say, love your neighbor. We can say all these things, kind of use the the pithy nature of, of, of communication and media. We can use those to our advantage in a sense, but we also need to take a step back and say, we need those pithy things like hashtags and memes to lead to something deeper. And if we're not standing up for the, the gray and the confusing parts of what compassion is, especially when there's multiple groups involved, um, like I said, we're just going to, we're going down the horribly wrong path and then we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot in the end. Well, I saw this kind of clearly a few weeks ago. Um, one of our parishioners 
um, it, their son was the judge in the Aurora shooting. Oh. Um, so he was the the head judge um, on, on the case. Hmm. Um, and so I was telling him, you know, it's it's nice to know, like, at least this guy's got a prayerful mother um, that's going to just pray and, and ask that, you know, he would have wisdom and insight and whatever else. Yeah. Well, then <clears throat> it came over the feed that they were going to read the they were going to read the decision, the, the the verdict at like four o'clock or something. So we all gathered in my office and we were waiting a long time. And then, um, you know, James Holmes, who's the Aurora shooter, stands up. And I just felt a lot of sorrow mm. for this man who has been through, it's like a two-year two year, um, uh, court case, yeah. I think. Um, and do I think this guy's like sick? Yeah. Do I think he was in control of his actions when, when he did it? Yeah, I do. Do I think that they are, they brought him to justice? Yeah. Do I think that the families are going to mourn their loved ones? Um, and nothing, no decision that they make is going to bring their loved ones back Mm. and, and really feeling that and the pain of that. So then when the verdict was read and Every single count of murder and kind of associate, like it's like there's like 22 counts of of first degree murder and then uh, 60 counts maybe of attempted murder hmm. uh, and like all these you know violent crimes. Those every injured. single one of them had to be read, okay. and every single one of them was guilty, 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 hmm. and and but it took a long time, and I was you know. I was happy in some sense that they had come, you know, to a verdict. But then I was like waiting with bated breath to see like are they going to do the death penalty? Right. And then didn't realize that actually the death penalty is pronounced, you know, later, later. in a separate trial. Once you've once you've affirmed, once you've, you know, brought this person and said he is guilty, now what is the sentence? Right. And so the the first sentence that is given is is life. It, the question is not whether or not he should be put to death. The question is whether or not life in prison is an inappropriate um, and n- not like uh, just enough of a penalty. Right. Like this person's a threat, etc. And they just came out with it that uh, they that he got life in prison. Yeah, I believe he did. Um, I saw it. And um, there was a part of me that really wanted to say. Um, no, I'm actually feeling compassion for this man now, because um, although he's been brought to justice, um, I don't believe that the expression of justice in this case or in many of the cases in the United States are are ones where the death penalty is necessitated. Um, but there was a lot of people that were like, no, this guy has killed other people, and so he has to be put to death. Um, so the compassion in that regard is... Um, I want to stand in his place with him. Not that I've ever, I've ever felt kind of empathy or compassion for someone who would do such atrocious acts. Yeah. But when he was getting his sentence read upon him, I was like, dear God, what is going to happen to me when all of my crimes, all of my sins are kind of read out in heaven? Yeah. And that would be really painful. Yeah. And I think that it's not just that Christ comes in at the last minute and says it's not a big deal you know don't worry about it i forgive you 
but rather like Christ somehow makes um, makes himself a victim with us. Yeah. He's the one that kind of he's the one that ultimately has given true compassion. Yeah, you're right. That's right. He makes himself a victim with us. I didn't even think about that. You know, it's the same thing too with Caritas and Veritate. I mean, you know, Benedict's encyclical. There's we need to speak the truth in love, and there's situations like like this where it would be doing the victims an injustice if if they didn't read out guilty 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 like that's the truth he was guilty yeah. and and they decided you know through multiple means that 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 this this was something that it was evil in other words, it wasn't a psychological problem he knew what he was doing there we we believe in evil there was a real evil there but then how do you do the love so the the truth has been spoken but now what do you do in love yes. we are called to love our enemies so yeah. it, it, we need to hear guilt he needed to hear we need to hear the victims families needed to hear guilty guilty because that was the truth of it now what do we do with it and that seems like you know life in prison is the is probably the 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 necessary punishment or the necessary you know sentence for him but how is that going to work out now? You know, now, now it's up to those prison ministers and COs and things like that yeah. in the prison to, to, to have the true compassion. But, but the, the truth had to come out. One of the things that I, I'm seeing in, I think, what the Holy Spirit's doing with the Holy Fathers is that, that Benedict was so good about the truth. And I mean, he even wrote the encyclical, you know, The Truth in Love. So he, he understood that very, very well. So people were drawn to Christ and drawn to the church because of his insistence upon truth. I see Francis's insistence upon love. And I think we need to make sure that we pastors of parishes and we, we, we priest, anybody who's, who's trying to live the life of Christ and is somehow a leader in the church, we need to make sure that if, if someone is coming to the church because of the truth and they say, look, I, I've been reading the fathers, I've been, I've been researching this, the, the Catholic church just makes the most sense. It's the truth. We need to make sure that they come and they're not going to be beating people's over the head with it, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But with the same thing, now we're, we're, in, we're in the reign of Francis. You know, people are coming back and I have this all the time. I meet people in pubs and coffee shops who say, I like this Francis. I'm thinking about coming back to church. You know, that I hear this probably once or twice a week. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I say, I hope those who they encounter in the church, whether it's the greeter at the door, the pastor, the, the parochial vicar, whoever it is they encounter in the parish, that those people are able to say, you came back because of love. Now we need to make sure that that is rooted in truth. Yes. If it's just emotional love, it's going to go horribly right. You're going to be here one week and it, it's not going to fulfill your emotions well enough. So we need to be the ones to say, people are coming to our parishes because of, because of love. And then they, they see compassion. You know, they, they see lack of judgment. But when they come in, they're just going to leave again. They're not going to grow closer, any closer to Christ unless we say, yes, keep that. That is awesome. That is good. Now make sure that that you are this passionate and emotional about seeking out the truth and that we are all learners. We are all disciples. We're all followers and we're going to accept the teachings of the church, mold them over, but we're going to consider things that as they actually are, there is objective truth in the world. Yeah. And I mean, that I see that a lot right now because part of the dialogue I mean, I don't think you're trying to say this, but I believe that that Benedict did preach the truth with love, Mm -hmm. and that Francis is trying to preach the love with truth. Right. Okay, fine. But right now, some of the the news stories and news feeds that are being brought up is uh, divorced and remarried Catholics are finally going to be given their rightful share at the table of the Lord, you know? And so there's a lot of people saying, Francis would want this, okay? Francis... 
um, has had an effect. Francis is about, you know, non-judgment. And I'm like, that is not true. Right. That is not true. And that's not even true love. True love, um, I was I was reading a blog the other day, and this person was explaining that that they've they had to just to convey to their daughter um, why pornography was wrong, hmm. and yet why sexuality is good, right. and why you know curiosity and kind of you know is um, is important, and but where it can go awry. As a parent and as a friend and as a pastor, like you have to do this all the time. Yeah, and you know. You when you go into the doctor's office or whatever, you don't want the guy just to like treat you horribly, but tell you the truth. But then again, you don't want him to treat it you well, or you know, I don't know what the opposite would be, truthfully without loving you, right? Loving you without truthfully. So it's just like, so people get really uppity about it, and I'm like, that's misplaced compassion. Right. You're making them into a victim, and actually, they're not as much of a victim as you would make them out to be. Jesus. Jesus can bestow his grace, his presence, his love in a way known only to him outside of the bounds of communion. And this is why communion is important. Yeah. It was the same thing whenever I preached on same-sex marriage. I mean, there were a lot of people that were um they were probably scandalized because they'd heard so much of truth and love and they thought it was an incoherent message that I gave, hmm. and I was like, actually it's in the same gospel. Right. Um so, anyways. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge for us who are leaders in the church to say, why are people coming? And, and we, we have a, this, this, this tendency towards heresy to emphasize one part of it over the other, that this is a human tendency. So, when we emphasize truth over love or love over truth, we're heretics. That's what we are. We're right. emphasizing part, according to Ross Douthat's definition, you know, we're emphasizing one part over the other, which I think was very insightful. And we need to make sure that, that we are not heretics in this way. And Again, it's, it's going to be hard because you have to stick with people through the long run. This is not something that you can explain in one homily and then have people walk off on their own and be like, now I understand it all. Now I'm truth, truly loving and truthful. You know, it, it, we still don't understand how Jesus is God and man or how Mary is virgin and mother. These, these are things that are mysteries. Maybe they'll always be mysteries, but we can strive to be graceful and be eloquent in the confusion. Be hmm. graceful in the confusion. I think that's a that's a, a very... Um, appropriate title or attribution for Christians. We are graceful in the confusion. Yeah, We don't always have to have an answer that's going to raise one thing to its pinnacle and yet demonize the other. Yeah, and for me, part of that is found in dialogue. And many times, homilies are a monologue. It is that. It's a, it's a, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't, be seen only as a monologue it should be seen as a one-sided conversation right that's inviting a response right and i was telling my friend about this um uh father steve Akers was out from uh, monterey california he's a priest in salinas and i was saying so much of what i do is either in um kind of the monologue or the the one-sided conversation of the of the the ambo or it's in the dialogical forum of the confessional. Right. But I can't continue that conversation. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So like are people continuing this conversation amongst one another? I always I always feel pretty happy when people say, Yeah, we talked about this on the way home. Yeah. You know, that means it sparked a conversation, it sparked a dialogue. Are people also doing that with their church? Again, 
If you come to the church and you come to the priest and say, I don't believe in the church's teachings, I think you're stupid and whatever else, um, I'm probably going to get a little hot and bothered. Right. And I'm going to go on the defensive. A, a, a more humble person, a, a kinder person might say, well, let's talk about that, okay? Well, but if, if, if the first thing that you're doing is kind of going on the attack, then I can... I need to either be an attacker or a victim. Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned this. Um, Balthazar was talking about uh, ecumenism in the book, Who is a Christian? And he said, we actually need to adopt the stance of being uh, an exposed victim. Hmm. Like, if you're going to come and attack us, well, then we've got to allow you to do that. But also to say, um, these these hurts are real. Yeah. For you, and they're they're really hurting us, yeah. um, and not just concede ground, just to say, okay, fine, you can just do that. Right. That doesn't help. That's a. I thought the as soon as you said that, I thought of that movie. I think you guys talked about that podcast, the movie of Calvary. That that he when when the, all the in the in the movie when all these people were asking the priest and kind of condemning him for the pedophilia scandals and things like that, he he always began by apologizing and like then took mm-hmm. that victim stance. Maybe he didn't always. Kind of, kind of to defend the church as as much as, but I mean, it's a movie, but as much as we would like, but but there there was certainly a he he showed the vulnerability of the church, yeah. In in his somebody would yell at him, he'd be like, yeah, I know, I don't know what to say about that. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it, it it was it was a very good sign of of where leadership in the church can, can and probably should be. Yeah, vulnerable, exposed victims, sometimes. but also people that are willing to have a conversation, right. The last thing I'll say is, um, uh, you know, all these Planned Parenthood videos are coming out, right. um, and it's a gross um, violation of kind of the medical office and, you know, do no harm. It's a horrible violation. Of yeah. It. yeah. And it's um, it's painful, and I, I don't recommend kind of getting too involved in watching it because um, it can arouse... Um, just a lot of pain and a lot of anger. And so without discretion, watching without discretion, you know, yeah. just being inquisitive. But the reason why I say that is, what do you do in the face of abortion? Is it just that you yell and scream on one side or the other? Right. Um, or do you have a, are you willing to have a conversation that could be a really painful conversation and maybe a conversation where it's not just immediate, like, oh, I get it. It is a child. I will never commit abortion again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I say that is Father Hellstrom, who was our novice master at seminary, what he wanted to do was set up a table and two chairs, uh, or just have two chairs um, uh, outside of an abortion clinic. He would be in his collar, and he would just have a sign that says, willing to listen. Yeah, And uh, who knows what the effect that would be. And the sad part is there's many people out there that aren't willing to engage it because it's such a it's such a horrible and painful reality um, that it's just like it, it'd just be easier if I just didn't know that it's going on, you know, and um, well, that's I think the tragedy of these videos is because 
abortion was so it was always behind the curtain like like, like we, we could we could have compassion on on the the you know the girl or the guy who, who was you know coming in in, in need of, of help you know because yeah. they're right in our face but the babies we never saw them never. and now never. we see people that see them all the time and still don't understand I mean they see these bodies and they still don't understand that that's yeah be careful watching the videos but it, it makes it very obvious these are little bodies, you know, and, and how can we as humans see that and still somehow say these humans, we deny they're humans. Oh, it's just part of the body. It's a lump of tissue, whatever, yeah. you know, we, we still see it and it's in our face. And so many people still deny that that's something in need of, of empathy, compassion, help, you know, yeah. support. Or even, or even James Holmes or the, uh, Jokar Sarnev or whatever yeah. the, that we'd so dehumanize that person. It's like, it doesn't matter what happens to them. Yeah. They have made themselves. And it's like, no, they're still a child of God right. and God can still break through their hearts of stone. And we shouldn't just say life in prison, but whatever they do to him in prison, at least he's alive. So like, yeah, we need to work for honest prison reform yeah. and just say, is this just, is this, um, you know, because the whole thing's about uh, solitary confinement and everything yeah. else. Like, is that is that dehuman, dehumanizing? Right. So this is an interesting, interesting conversation. So thanks for bringing it up. Oh sure, it's on my mind. All right, glad to get it out. Any last words on it? Uh, you good? No, you feel I'm satisfied? I'm good. Last time on the dating podcast, I asked for feedback, and some oh. of you did jump on, uh, jump on Gmail and and give me feedback. I was glad to hear it. So awesome. Thank you. All right, any shout-outs? Uh, yeah, I did a shout-out to my uh, brother Joseph and his wife Seska for their new baby, and now uh, I can officially announce that my little sister Teresa and her husband Colin are also pregnant with their first. Oh, so yeah. I'm just beaming over here. They're going to be like three weeks apart, these two babies, if God willing, you know, everything works out well. So I'm praying it is, and they'll be best cousin friends. Exactly. Be so Teresa and Colin Gibbons, they're pregnant as well. God bless them. Surprise! Yes. Hopefully they put it on their Facebook or Instagram or Twitter account. They didn't, but I said I... They said oh, okay. I That's, this is the announcement. Yeah. Um, I only have one uh, shout-out to Stephanie Geiger. Uh, she's um, from Louisville, Kentucky, but lives in Cincinnati, and she talks about the podcast instead of Bible study uh, when she gets together with her gal pals. They're all in a Bible study together. Most of the time they just end up talking about the the podcast so uh geiger keep keep uh keep rocking it and cincy i'm actually coming to cincy in a few weeks for um a wedding so nice i have a shout out too and it's uh i just got a text i just met these two fans of the podcast in my diocese this is uh seminary travis crotty who's coming to uh coming to the oh yeah mine coming to the seminary to start here in denver uh, they say hello, Nick and Jack, and I got a photo of them playing putt putt. Sick! So anyway, I love putt putt. Two two kids uh, up in I don't know what the diocese somewhere in Iowa. I gotta ask him. Iowa. Anyway, Nick, Nick and Jack from Iowa that like to play putt putt, and I got a picture of you guys with a thumbs up. Either Dubuque, shout out Sioux City, Davenport, or I'm gonna say Des Sioux City. I don't know. Maybe there's only three dioceses. There's got Travis is a fan too. So he'll yell at me. All right. Well, that's good. Good enough. Well done. Yay. All right, uh, folks, 
like us on Facebook. Continue. Um, I've actually had a few phone calls to my church and uh, emails to my account. You can look up Holy Protection of the Mother of God on uh, Google. And then you can call Father Michael. You know, um, I don't know if he actually wants that, but uh, if I'm getting phone calls, he should too. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Laters. God bless.